Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness, it's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. There's nothing you can do to prevent breast cancer. You have a one in eight chance of getting it, no matter how you live your life, and you just happen to be one out of the eight. That's what an oncologist told a client of mine a few months ago. Welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm Jared St. Clair. It's good to be with you again on another episode of Vitality Radio and the Vitality Radio podcast. I'm going to shoot so many holes in that statement during the rant. There won't be any statement left. I didn't go to medical school. I certainly did not uh, get to the point of oncology. That's a lot of schooling. That's a lot of book work. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of late nights. It's residency. It's all the stuff. And yet, This guy should not be practicing medicine, whether he has a license or not, if that's what he believes about prevention of cancer. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Vitality Radio brought to you by Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful. My family-owned health and nutrition store has been serving Davis County for 44 years now. And now we serve way beyond Davis County because of the advent of podcasts and the radio show. We ship stuff all over the place. We're happy to help you no matter where you are. If you're within the sound of my voice, you are within the reach of our help. You just give us a call, 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. And we'll be happy to take care of you. Vitality Radio is my, it's like this combination of a labor of love, because it is a labor. I spend a lot of time putting it together and producing it, recording it and all that kind of stuff. And it uh, takes up a lot of my uh, bandwidth, as they say. Uh, But I'll tell you, the love part is real. I absolutely love doing this show. And I absolutely love those of you who are willing to listen to me talk about these things that I'm passionate about. Give me a chance to state my claim to the things that I'm uh, uh, that I'm talking about. And heck, I even appreciate those of you who think that I'm a lunatic and a detriment to society because I guess it takes both kinds. Next time, though, if you want to send me hate mail, uh, put your name and phone number on there and let's talk and maybe we can come to some level of uh, civil conversation. Or maybe we can't. Vitality Radio today is all about sports nutrition. We're going to talk about the do's and don'ts. Really, basically, what I can see uh, or what I consider to be the most critical elements supplementally for sports nutrition. I'm not going to talk about training. That's not my uh, thing. It's not my level of expertise, my area of expertise. I'm not going to talk about all of that type of stuff. I'm not even going to talk about diet. I'm specifically today going to talk about supplementation. And the reason for that is, A, it's what I know the most about, so I feel uh, greatly qualified to discuss it. But B, I think it's where as much confusion lies as anything in sports nutrition and fitness. You know, working out, there's plenty of that too, right, is 
hit training the best uh, is uh, cardio uh, more important than weight training? Is weight training more important than cardio? Are they equally important? What type of cardio is more effective? What type of weight training is more effective? Should I be using machines or should I be using free weights? Do I need a trainer or can I do it on my own? And so on and so on. There's lots of that stuff. I get it. What diet should I be on? Should I be doing keto? Should I be intermittent fasting? What should I be doing with all of that? Well, there's all that too. And actually, that does uh, set me up to tell you that I'm going to be doing an in-depth look at intermittent fasting very soon, likely taking more than one episode to do it because there's a lot of detail to go into there. So that's coming up on Vitality Radio in some future episodes. But today, it's all about supplementation. The marketing hype behind sports nutrition supplements is as big and bad as it's ever been, probably worse back when I first started selling this stuff and all we had was milk and egg protein. It was a lot more simple. There was still Muscle and Fitness magazine and magazines like it, uh, Iron Man and so on and so forth. And those magazines still persist today, but with the advent of the internet, holy moly, there is a lot of marketing out there on sports nutrition, and some of it's legitimate, and some of it's just a bunch of hype, and I'm here to try and steer you through the hype, get you through the smoke to where you can see where the fire really is. But before I do that, it is time, once again, for the Vital Rant. In a world full of often confusing messages about health, let Jared be your guide through the smoke screens of corporate greed, media bias, government ineptitude, and propaganda. When you see what is really happening, you'll be ranting too. It's time to expose the hidden agendas. It's time for the truth. It's time for the vital rant. Yeah, so that happened. Uh, this is a client of mine who actually is a personal friend as well and uh, will remain nameless uh, for uh, obvious reasons. But I had a discussion with her just this week, and she told me that her oncologist told her, she specifically asked him point blank, you know, what could I have done and what can I do to prevent this breast cancer from reoccurring. Now, she is uh, has a clear bill of health, thank goodness, and is doing well. And that's the thing. You know, it was uh, surgery uh, and some radiation. And I have mixed feelings on radiation because there's no doubt that it uh, can play a role in, uh, in fighting cancer, but it also has wreaks some pretty serious havoc on the human body. So it's sort of a plus minus game. Surgery is what it is. If it's a lumpectomy, then I think that's great. I think more often than not, that's probably the best approach, uh, maybe the safest approach, although surgery can go wrong. In most cases, doctors are pretty good at it now and are able to remove this uh, tissue that needs to be removed. And that's modern medicine, right? There's some really amazing things that can be done with modern medicine that we didn't have in the past, but modern medicine is wrought with problems. And one of the biggest problems, in my view, I may even say the biggest problem is that it has virtually no focus on prevention. When we see, and we'll see it again this October, everything will be pink washed. 
The NFL will be wearing pink all over their jerseys, and there will be pink on the Yo Play cartons of yogurt and pink all over your grocery store and all the other stuff. And that pink is about breast cancer awareness, and breast cancer awareness really isn't a problem anymore, is it? You're listening right now, and you're very aware of breast cancer, what it is, and that it kills people, and that it's a very, very common cancer uh, in women and so on. You already have the awareness. So then it's early detection, early detection, early detection, early detection. That's all they talk about. Well, why are we detecting cancer if and focusing on that when we could be pre- preventing cancer and focusing on that? And that question has yet to be resolved. I've been asking it for years. But if this particular doctor is uh, any indication of why that is, well, he simply doesn't think you can prevent it. So I did something very simple, and I love to do this because I'm often called a charlatan or a huckster or a variety of other things. People think I'm just slinging supplements and slinging uh, dirt at uh, pharmaceutical companies because that's my business and that's what I do. But in reality, more often than not, when I'm slinging the dirt, I'm actually slinging their own words at them to prove my point. And you'll see that today throughout the show as I have uh, a couple of topics that we're going to discuss that I think are really, really important. And what I did is I did a search and I simply said, ways to prevent, and this is a Google search, you can do it yourself, ways to prevent breast cancer. That's all I did. I didn't put natural. I just said ways to prevent breast cancer. Really simple search. And guess what websites came up? The American Cancer Society, the uh, uh, Harvard Medical Center. uh, There was uh, Mayo Clinic, which I'm going to be quoting from today. These are all mainstream medicine uh, websites, brands, whatever you want to call. WebMD was in there as well that are primarily – on the side of drugs, surgery, medical procedures, more so than they are on the side of prevention. But Mayo Clinic, sorry, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't come up with the name for a second there. Mayo Clinic, this is what they say with that simple search. This popped up. Research shows that lifestyle changes can decrease. That's can, C-A-N, not C-A-N-T, the risk of breast cancer even in women at high risk. To lower the risk, this is what you should do. Limit alcohol. The more alcohol you drink, the greater the risk of developing breast cancer. The general recommendation based on research on the effect of alcohol on breast cancer risk is to limit yourself to no more than one drink a day as even small amounts increase risk. I read further on that and they have shown that one glass of wine, five ounces, increases your breast cancer risk by 13%. So alcohol in any quantity, even what would be considered a more quote-unquote, health-promoting alcohol like red wine still has the potential to uh, increase your risk of breast cancer. So limiting alcohol is good. Maintaining a healthy weight. Of course, weight is critical. If your weight is healthy, work to maintain that weight, they say. If you need to lose weight, ask your doctor about healthy strategies to accomplish this. Reduce the number of calories you eat each day, so on and so forth. And we can talk about the silly basic information we hear about weight loss. But regardless, maintaining a healthy weight 
across the board keeps us healthier and is preventative of cancer and breast cancer in specific. Be physically active. 150 minutes a week of moderate aerobic activity or 75 minutes a week of vigorous aerobic activity has been shown to decrease the risk of breast cancer substantially. And strength training twice a week also adds to that benefit. Breastfeeding is what mothers do for their children, and it plays a significant role in breast cancer prevention. We've known that for years, and there are some very specific hormonal reasons why that is. And also limiting postmenopausal hormone therapy. This is hormone replacement therapy, uh, where they have found a significant link to breast cancer as well as other forms of cancer from these types of uh, products. So that's five things from Mayo Clinic, not from thehealthguy.com, not from Nutrition Shop, not from Jared St. Clair. These are things from Mayo Clinic where I would assume this doctor would generally say uh, that he agrees with most of what they say, and yet he said, there's nothing you can do. So there's a bunch more, actually. I mean, again, American Cancer Society, cancer.org, all of these mainstream medical sites, they all had similar things to say, but none of them said you can't do anything with your lifestyle to prevent breast cancer. If your doctor ever tells you something like this, you need to find a better doctor. Someone who actually recognizes that your lifestyle matters, what you eat matters. If or when or how you exercise matters, how much you sleep matters, how well hydrated you are matters, what your weight is matters. These are all factors and they all matter. And we should be focusing on prevention far more than we should be focusing on early detection. Yes, early detection is great, but you know what one of the highest risk factors of breast cancer is now? It's too many mammograms. Which is, one, which is the primary way in America that we promote early detection. It's estimated based on studies. And again, these are studies done by major uh, medical organizations published in major health journals and, or medical journals, I should say, that show that too many mammograms increase the risk of breast cancer, each mammogram increasing it by about 1%. That's a big increase. So that means, okay, well, one mammogram, not that big of a deal, but one mammogram a year after the age of 40. In the UK and throughout Europe, they've reduced the number of mammograms dramatically based on that. In America, there is evidence that they will start reducing that as well, but I haven't seen anything concrete on that right now. They want you to do it every year from 40 to 70. That's a 30% increase based on the research that I've seen. So we have to shift things to preventative. The old saying, the ounce of prevention worth a pound of cure, it absolutely is. So the another thing that I decided to look up is just some common things that have some some research, some is better than others for sure, some published in major medical journals, some even up on PubMed, and some not. But there are some things that are pretty obvious in their effect on the prevention of cancer. And one of those things is green tea. Uh, studies, now, and now 
many of the animals or many of these studies are animal studies that have yet to be conducted on humans. Uh, unfortunately, I hope that they will be conducted on humans in the future. But in the case of green tea, it was animal studies. And they showed that phenols in green tea inhibited the growth of breast cancer cells. Uh, and then they did one on women. In one study, 472 women with various stages, because of course, this would not be prevention. This would be once a woman has it. Various stages of breast cancer. Researchers found that women who drank the most green tea had the least spread of cancer. So those polyphenols seem to matter. Cruciferous veggies. This is a big deal. And I talk about it a lot when I talk about xenoestrogens. Cruciferous vegetables, which include things like kale, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, bok choy, Brussels sprouts, these types of things. Uh, we have found in population-based studies that there are strong links between greater consumption of cruciferous vegetables and lowered risk of lung, colorectal, stomach, breast, prostate, and other cancers. That was published in December of 2017. Grapeseed extract. The extract derived from the seeds of red grapes is uh, has been shown to reduce tumor cell growth in human breast, lung, and gastric cancer cells, uh, according to S.S. Josie, PhD of the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Turmeric, or curcumin, as it's also known, uh, helps prevent breast cancer by managing the normal growth of cells as well as controlling the changes of pathways in breast cancer cells specifically. That was published in August of 2018. And selenium, such a simple thing, a mineral that we all require anyway for both breast and prostate cancer or diet modifications to increase selenium to a specified range will be effective in reducing the risk of developing cancer of any type in women and high risk of breast cancer, uh, or sorry, with a high risk of breast cancer as compared to placebo. So we know that these things have evidence. We know that they can do things. And if you are at high risk based on genetics or family history, then these are things that you probably should consider doing. They all matter. The rant, though, is basically this. We have too many doctors right now, and I'm not lumping every doctor into this category. There are some very, very fine doctors out there, many of them, that are doing excellent work, that are thinking outside of the pharmaceutical box. And I honor those people because it's not an, always an easy or unopposed journey for them to try to find things that are helpful for their patients outside of pharmaceuticals and surgeries. But there are too many doctors right now that basically say, Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow. You're going to probably get cancer anyway. And that is simply not true. End of rant. Okay, I'm going to cut to a quick break. When I come back, I'm going to talk about something that I think is very interesting in light of what's going on today. But uh, it has to do with the FDA. It was written up in NPR in 2017. And I think you're going to want to hear about it. It has to do with the FDA approval process uh, for new drugs. Very interesting stuff when I return. After that, we're going to get knee deep in sports nutrition information. A lot of good stuff for you. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this is Vitality Radio. After decades of helping people with their nutritional supplement needs, I have observed something that seems almost universal. People seem to have a lot of products that they have experimented with. Some might have been recommended by a blog or online, others from a magazine article, and yet another by a friend or family member. Information is coming at us at a rapid pace nowadays, and everyone has an opinion. The problem is that there is only one really big wild card in health and nutrition, 
and that wild card is you. I know you've heard the infomercials, seen the ads, or talked to that neighbor who has that cure-all product that can do it all for your health. The problem is that supplement doesn't exist. What's right for your neighbor isn't always right for you. At Vitality Nutrition, we've been asking the right questions for years. What I mean by this is, we don't just sell supplements, we consult with our clients and ask them the key questions needed to make sure we match the right supplement to the right person. If you feel better about a team approach to your health, give us a call and one of our well-educated Vitality team members will answer your questions and help you find just what it is that you need to address your health concerns naturally. You can reach us at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Or drop us an email. Info at vitalityradiopod.com. That's info at vitalityradiopod.com. Well, you may have heard me say before that the FDA and I don't often see eye to eye. I'm going to talk about some of that on this segment of Vitality Radio. Welcome back to the show. I'm Jared St. Clair. It's good to be with you again on another episode of Vitality Radio and the Vitality Radio podcast, always brought to you by Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful, Utah, where you can get the answers you need to help you with your alternative ways. I, I hate that they're called alternative. That really bothers me because they're actually traditional ways of taking care of your body, but you know, it is what it is. Words are just words, right? But regardless, I want to go into this for just a second before I uh, get to the next subject. The Your Health Freedom Symposium. I've kind of beaten you over the head with this. I've talked about it every single week for the last maybe six weeks now. And uh, you're only going to have to hear about it two more times because there's only two weeks until this event happens but it's important and I want you to be there with me. I'll be speaking as well as 10 other absolutely fantastic speakers. I uh, have been joking quite a bit about how there will be 10 great speakers plus me. But if you like Vitality Radio, I anticipate you'll enjoy my presentation as well. But we have six fantastic world-renowned doctors. Uh, we have homeopaths and naturopaths. We have some fantastic people talking about things that you need to know having to do with your health freedom. If you're concerned about things like mandates, if you're concerned about what's going on with the censorship right now of truth when it comes to health and nutrition, when and all the other stuff that's happening, you'll want to be at this conference. It is September 11th. It is an all-day event. This is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> you are going to want to hear these speakers, and you are going to be so excited after the one is done that you're going to be thrilled that the next one is beginning because all of this stuff is going to be fascinating. I couldn't be more excited for an event than I am for this one. September 11th, you go to yourhealthfreedom.org. That's yourhealthfreedom.org. It's in Layton, Utah. That's where the event will be. September 11th, your 49 bucks gets you entry into the event and a free lunch, a healthy lunch. And 11 fantastic speakers. Uh, there will be tables there and booths and a whole lot of wonderful like-minded people that want to talk to you about health and health freedom and doing things in a holistic way. That's what Your Health Freedom is all about. And I absolutely love and honor these people. They are fantastic. If you have questions, you can call us at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. It's Your Health Freedom 
www.thepowerofpositivity.org. Okay, next topic is this. We are going to talk about the FDA approval process. As you may know, as I said earlier, the FDA and I aren't always on the same page. I consider them to be a bloated bureaucratic organization controlled and funded largely by pharmaceutical companies, which they then in turn promote. The FDA doesn't always get it wrong, for sure. They've done some good things, but they often do. According to a study done by Yale School of Medicine, as far as new drug approvals go, they get it wrong about 30% of the time. This was written up in NPR in 2017, May of 2017, so we're about four years ago now. One-third, this is the headline, one-third of new drugs had safety problems after FDA approval. Researchers at the Yale School of Medicine found that nearly a third of those approved from 2001 through 2010 had major safety issues uh, years after the medications were made widely available to patients. In total, there were 222 drugs that were approved between 2020, sorry, 2001 and 2010, of which 71 required either a complete withdrawal from the market or a black box warning, which is the most serious warning that can be put on a drug prior to withdrawal by the FDA, or warranted other safety announcements about new risks that was, were previously not known prior to the approval of the drug. That's according to uh, the Yale School of Medicine that was reported in the Journal of American Medicine, uh, February 28th of 2017. It took a median of 4.2 years. So it took 4.2 years for them to find out on average that these drugs, which they said were safe when they approved them, were not as safe as they once thought that they were. And the most common drugs that were found in those, those categories were psychiatric drugs, biologic drugs, including things that impact DNA, drugs that were granted accelerated approval, and drugs that were approved near the regulatory deadline for approval. So basically things that were pushed quickly, uh, psychiatric drugs, biologic drugs, and things that were granted accelerated approval. Drugs ushered through the FDA's accelerated approval process were among those that had the highest rate of safety interventions. NPR interviewed Dr. Caleb Alexander, who is the co-director of the Johns Hopkins Center for Drug Safety and Effectiveness. He said, all too often, patients and clinicians mistakenly view FDA approval as an indication that a product is fully safe and effective, he says. Nothing could be further from the truth. We learn tremendous amounts about a product only once it's been on the market and only after it's been used among a broad population. Again, this is from Yale School of Medicine, the Journal of the American Medical Association, and a doctor from Johns Hopkins Center for Drug Safety and Effectiveness, none of which are alternative sources. And they are telling you that on average, from 2001 to 2010, about 30% of drugs had to be withdrawn or receive significant warnings on average, about 4.2 years after they were put on the market. So just because something is approved by FDA does not necessarily make it safe. And that is uh, just something, especially when you're seeing these new commercials, you're seeing information on TV or in the media or things like that, where they're talking about a new drug for a specific thing. Whatever that thing is, I really don't care. Uh, if it's an autoimmune disease or a viral thing or pick pick the thing pick the illness i don't care if it's a new drug and it's being pushed as the next big thing 
Keep in mind that on average, at least during that decade, about 30% of those drugs proved to be substantially more dangerous than they ever thought they were when they were approved. And that should give all of us pause in considering a new medicine, even once it achieves FDA approval. Okay, so now I promised you sports nutrition. I ranted for a little bit. We talked a little bit about the FDA and the approval process. And now we have about 30 minutes left to talk only about sports nutrition. Locally, if you're a podcast listener, I'm on a sports radio station. We have a lot of guys uh, and a lot of gals that love to work out, that love fitness, that love uh, hitting the gym, all that good stuff. And so if you're listening on the radio and you're one of those, this next next segment, which is the the whole rest of the show is for you. We're going to talk sports nutrition, do's and don'ts. Again, this is focused on supplementation. What's real? What isn't real? How much do you need to take? Why does it help? There are a lot of supplements I could talk about. And, and, and I want this to be clear too. I'm not talking about a supplement uh, such as like a pre-workout where there's a bunch of things added to it or a post-workout. I'm talking about individual ingredients today, which you will find in those supplements. And I will talk about some combinations that I think work better than others, all that kind of stuff. But this is not a show about specific items that are on the shelf. This is a show about individual ingredients so that you can understand what beta alanine is and why it's in your pre-workout. So you can understand whether or not caffeine is a good idea to have in your pre-workout. Those types of things. That's what this show is about. I'm going to try and help you kind of see through the marketing hype and what the science actually means. I'm going to put a primary focus on about four or five things and then maybe a secondary focus on some that are a little less common or, or maybe that I think are a little less important. And this could bleed into another show. We'll have to see. But anyway, let's get going. Beta alanine. Have you heard of it? If you haven't and you're exercising, you need to know about beta alanine. And I'm going to throw a little caveat out there too. Yes, most of what I'm going to be talking about, most of the studies that I'm going to be reading, they have to do with physical performance in the gym or during an athletic activity, a sport or something like that. However, interestingly enough, almost everything I'm going to talk about has benefits for people who are over the age of 60. And primarily because there is a real concern across the world, but in America in particular, of something known as sarcopenia. Sarcopenia is the loss of muscle tissue, which can lead to things like osteoporosis, but more than anything leads to just general weakness, fatigue, uh, lethargy, the inability to climb up and down stairs, get in and out of chairs, climb in and out of cars, all of those types of things that are so common with uh, older adults in this country. And Interestingly enough, I believe one of the biggest factors in hip fractures. Now, we talk about osteoporosis with hip fractures, but what makes a hip fracture more often than not is a fall. And what makes a fall? Instability. And what makes someone unstable? To a very large degree, lower muscle mass, which sarcopenia is basically the loss of muscle as we age. So if you are not someone who hits the gym on a regular basis, but you are someone in that 60 plus range, you ought to listen up too, because I think this will be very valuable for you as well. So back to beta alanine. In your muscles, there's something known as histidine, and it's an amino acid, and the levels are normally high. Beta alanine levels are normally low, which limits the production of something called carnosine. 
another amino acid. Stay with me. Supplementing with beta alanine has been shown to elevate carnosine levels in muscles by 80%. And it does that basically by utilizing the histidine stores and they work together to create this high level of carnosine. So how does carnosine act when you're exercising? Well, first it helps with breaking down glucose, which is called glycolysis, which is the main source of fuel during high intensity exercise. Then lactate is produced. As you exercise, your muscles break down glucose into what's called lactic acid. That's what gives you that burn uh, when you're exercising and oftentimes that burn and tightness post-exercise as well. This is converted into lactate, which produces hydrogen ions. Our muscles then become more acidic. Fatigue then sets in, muscle acidity blocks glucose breakdown and reduces your muscle's ability to contract or flex. Okay, this causes muscle fatigue. Carnosine acts as a buffer for these things. Carnosine serves as a buffer against the acid, reduces the acidity in the muscles, and therefore increases substantially muscle endurance and muscle performance. Since beta-alanine supplements increase carnosine levels, they can help your muscles uh, in a variety of ways. Let's talk about the athletic performance and strength changes with beta-alanine. Beta-alanine has been clinically proven in many studies to improve athletic performance by reducing fatigue, increasing endurance, and boosting performance in high-intensity exercises. Uh, it increases the time to exhaustion. Uh, studies show that beta-alanine helps to increase your time to exhaustion, which is known as TTE. Let's look at some of the numbers. In other words, it helps you exercise for longer periods of time. A study in cyclists found that four weeks of supplementation increased total work completed by 13%, increasing an additional 3.2% after 10 weeks. And I think that's an important thing to understand. Beta-alanine much like creatine, which I'm going to talk about next, does take time. It isn't something you take and all of a sudden, wow, huge improvement. You do get an improvement, even just taking one dose of beta-alanine, there is some benefit there, but it's pretty minimal based on the research. But after one month of consistently taking it, and it is recommended that you take it daily uh, to keep the load up, although most people seem to get pretty good results using it four or five days a, a week, say in a pre-workout supplement or something like that. But most of the research shows people doing it daily for 30 days. They get that 13% increase in muscle performance. And then over the next 10 weeks, they only get an additional 3.2. So the first 30 days are the big chunk of performance boost. But before you make up your mind about beta alanine, you do need to recognize that you need to give it at least 30 days. Once you give it 30 days, if you don't feel like it's giving you any benefit, then certainly feel free to try something else. But give it that 30 days to see what it can actually do for you. Another study on 20 men on a comparable cycling test increased their time to exhaustion by 13 to 14% also after four weeks of beta alanine supplements. Uh, also, shorter duration exercises. So we have cycling, more of the long-term endurance type exercise. But in general, muscle acidosis limits the duration of high-intensity exercise too, such as, you know, HIIT training, weight training, things like that. For this reason, beta-alanine specifically helps performance during high-intensity and short-duration exercise lasting one to several minutes. One study revealed that six weeks of taking beta-alanine increased TTE by 19% during HIIT training. In another study, 18 rowers who supplemented for seven weeks were 4.3 seconds faster than the placebo group in a 2,000-meter 
race lasting over six minutes. So we see that short burst exercise, it's also extremely effective. Now, I mentioned older adults. Beta alanine can help to increase muscle endurance in older adults. In resistance training, it can boost training volume and reduce fatigue. And there is evidence that it can help to maintain muscle mass. So beta alanine, if you've taken a pre-workout and you get that tingling feeling, kind of a flushing, pins and needles sort of a thing, that's usually beta alanine that's causing that. Is it a side effect? No, it's actually to some degree a primary effect. It's how beta alanine actually works. So two little tips or tricks for you on that. First off, most people, not all, do build a little bit of a tolerance to that relatively quickly. So sometimes you just work through it, do it for a week or two, you'll start to notice less and less of the tingle. Now, if you don't mind the tingle, some people like the tingle. I personally do not like how it feels, but to each his own. You can keep taking your full dose and enjoy the tingle that works, knowing that some of that tingle will probably wear off over time anyway. But a lot of people find they don't tingle much once they've used it consistently for a while. You can also reduce your dose or you can divide your dose. Beta alanine is not so much about taking it before you work out as much as it is about taking it every single day. That's what matters. So you can divide your dose in half and do half in the morning, half at night. The most effective clinical dose we've seen so far is 3.2 grams. But I'm convinced that people get really good results even at 1,600 to 2,000 uh, milligrams a day. That's about half of that clinical dose. And if you want to divide that up and get 800 to 1,000 milligrams in the morning, 800 to 1,000 milligrams at night, you certainly can do that and probably not have to worry too much about the tingling. Beta alanine, I absolutely love. I think it's fantastic stuff. It is often found in pre-workouts, so check your pre-workout. If you want your pre-workout to be the source of your beta alanine, make sure it has at least 1,600 milligrams in there, and optimally even more. And uh, if you want to take it independently, you can get it in a powder form, or you can get it in capsules as well. Creatine. Now, creatine is interesting because studies show that it can increase muscle mass, strength, and exercise performance. I believe, and I'm not alone in this, in fact, I would say the majority of sports nutrition experts out there will tell you that creatine is, bar none, the most important workout supplement. It provides a number of other health benefits as well. One of the best ones, and you've heard me talk about this if you're a regular listener to the show, is a protective effect reducing the risk of neurological disease. About 5% of creatine in our body is found in the brain, and it seems to have protective benefits on the neurological system. Some people also believe that creatine is unsafe, though, and has many side effects. But this is just simply not supported by evidence. There are many studies that disprove that this potential for side effects. Creatine, especially if you're a parent out there, you're wondering about your teenager using it, there is plenty of evidence that as long as someone is hydrating properly, drinking plenty of water, uh, getting electrolytes, creatine is just absolutely a non-issue for the vast majority of people. When you supplement, you increase your stores of what's called phosphocreatine. This is a form of stored energy in the cells that helps to produce the molecule called ATP. That's adenosine triphosphate. ATP is often called the body's energy currency. When you have more ATP, your body can perform better during exercise. Creatine also alters several cellular processes that lead to increased muscle mass, strength, and recovery. 
In high-intensity exercise, its primary role is to increase phosphocreatine stores in your muscles. Those additional stores can then be used to produce more ATP, which is the key energy source for heavy lifting and high-intensity exercise. So how does creatine work and what can it do for you? It can boost workload. It enables more work or volume in a single training session, meaning you can literally just do more in the gym, more reps, uh, higher weights, that sort of thing. It also improves cell signaling. That increases satellite cell signaling, which aids muscle repair and new muscle growth. Studies note a rise in hormones such as IGF-1 after taking creatine. It also lifts water content within your muscle cells, which causes a cell volumization effect that may play a role in muscle growth. It reduces protein breakdown which is huge for muscle recovery and also muscle uh, energy, and it lowers myostatin levels. Elevated levels of the protein myostatin can slow or totally inhibit new muscle growth. Supplementing with creatine can reduce these levels, increasing growth potential. There's a lot more on creatine to be said, but because I have a lot more to talk about, I'm going to just jump ahead to a couple of the the numbers that I think are really important. In a 12-week study in weightlifters, creatine increased muscle fiber growth by two to three times more than just training alone. That's huge. One 14-week study in older adults determined that adding creatine to a weight training program significantly increased leg strength and muscle mass. It, uh, in another review, adding creatine to a training program increased strength by 8%, weightlifting performance by 14%, and bench press one rep max by up to 43%. That is massive. In well-trained strength athletes, so if you're one who's doing it every day, uh, 28 days of supplementing increased bike sprinting performance by 15% and bench press performance by 6%. And there are literally dozens and dozens of other studies that I could quote, but I will stop there with creatine. So what else do you need to know about creatine? Well, it's as I said with beta alanine, it's more about getting it every day than it is about when you get it. So yeah, absolutely. You can have it in your pre-workout. I think it probably should be in pre-workouts. It simplifies things for the for you in terms of all how many different supplements you've got to take. So maybe look for it in your pre-workout, but you can get it pretty inexpensively. It's actually very inexpensive, especially considering what it does in a capsule or a tablet or a powder form. Most common is powder. Uh, most common source is creatine monohydrate, and that does have the most research that's been done on it. But I personally prefer a couple of forms, one called crealkaline and another one called creatine HCL or hydrochloride. I've found that uh, these are very, very effective at lower doses and end up being economically similar to creatine monohydrate, but I believe actually provide a better benefit, at least anecdotally from what I've seen from my customers over the last 20 plus years of selling creatine at Vitality Nutrition. And so you can get it independently, you can get it in pre-workouts, you can get it in post-workouts. Another good form is what's called a magnesium chelate of creatine. I like that a lot as well. Lots of good options. If you have more questions on that, of course, call us at Vitality Nutrition 801 292 6662. Okay, let's talk about something most people probably don't know much about, but maybe you've seen it in your pre-workout. Betaine anhydrous. The big four that betaine anhydrous seems to help is it attracts water into the muscle cells. That aids in, of course, muscle cell hydration, which aids in muscle cell endurance. 
Betaine also improves uh, cellular hydration as well, not just muscle hydration. Betaine improves power and strength, and betaine, believe it or not, supports heart health. And we're going to talk quite a bit about heart health as a uh, happy side effect of some of these sports supplements, actually. But betaine, I like it because it kind of works hand in hand with creatine and even increases creatine production by breaking down something called homocysteine. It breaks it down into something called methionine. Methionine, it, the body then uses to produce creatine. So betaine can actually improve your creatine levels all by itself. But what's especially awesome about the breakdown of homocysteine is that homocysteine, according to many researchers, is by far the more critical marker for heart disease than is cholesterol. So homocysteine is a big bad boy that we don't want high levels of in our bodies. And interestingly enough, betaine anhydrase is extremely effective at limiting cysteine levels in the body. And that then improves heart health, which is awesome. So like I said, a nice happy side effect. Betaine anhydrase is very inexpensive. Again, often found in pre-workouts, but not found in enough of them. So look for a pre-workout that has betaine anhydrase, or you can get betaine anhydrase independently. It's a little tougher to find, though. It's usually found in formulas. But again, if you have questions about that or how to get it or where to get it, we can help you at Vitality. A little bit of research on betaine. Research shows a hefty amount of betaine is actually lost in sweat during a workout. So adding it, it makes a big difference in muscle recovery. It's typically recommended somewhere in the neighborhood of about 1.5 grams of betaine anhydrous a couple of times a day. So about three grams daily. In conclusion, two weeks of betaine supplementation in active college males appeared to improve muscle endurance of the squat exercise and increase the quality of repetitions performed. Uh, in other words, a number of repetitions performed at 90%. These performance improvements were realized within just seven days of supplementation. So betaine anhydrous is pretty fast acting stuff. I really, really like it. Let's talk about citrulline. Now, I've talked about citrulline and arginine specific to heart and cardiovascular, blood pressure, things like that many, many times on Vitality Radio, but I haven't talked about it as much for sports nutrition. And it's an interesting thing because truth be told, it's great for all kinds of things. One of the things that I love about citrulline and arginine, and I'm going to explain why I talk about them somewhat interchangeably in a second, is that it's also great for sexual performance and both men and women, uh, women in particular, it helps to enhance sensitivity. Men, it helps to uh, enhance endurance. So it's great there. It's great for endurance in the gym. It's great for muscle recovery, and it's phenomenal for your heart. Why? You've probably by now heard of nitric oxide. Nitric oxide is a, a gas that is basically made in a reaction inside the blood, blood vessel. And it happens when arginine, an amino acid hits the endothelial wall of the artery and explodes. It explodes into this gas called nitric oxide, which relaxes and essentially exercises the tissue of the arterial system. A guy named Dr. Ignaro uh, back in 1994 won the Nobel Prize for Medicine for discovering what nitric oxide does in the body. And then he went on to work with other researchers to figure out how to improve nitric oxide. Arginine is the best, most effective fast acting way to increase nitric oxide, but it's also the shortest acting way. It only has a half-life of about three to four hours. So my preference is citrulline, which is not as strong as arginine right out of the gate, but it recycles itself multiple different times. 
And so citrulline is fantastic because it has like a 12 to 18 hour effect in the body versus three to four hours with arginine. That's a big deal because that means that in terms of blood flow, uh, blood pressure and normalizing blood pressure, helping with muscle strength and endurance and recovery, not just in the gym, but throughout the day. This applies a lot, uh, as I said, to older Americans who feel like they may be getting weaker uh, as they age. And it also has that extra side benefit in the bedroom for people as well. And it doesn't behave like Viagra, but it has it can have a similar effect. So there's some really awesome things about citrulline. You may have also heard of beets being a source of nitric oxide. Let me clarify that. Citrulline was originally found in watermelon. Since then, they found that it also is in high concentration in beets. And what has been discovered basically is that if you're looking for a whole food source of citrulline, those are the two best options. Beets are more commonly used because it's more concentrated and that's easier to concentrate down into a powder or capsule. But the research on beets and nitric oxide is not yet, it's not as complete. That's probably the best word to use. It's good. There's some good evidence that beets and watermelon can be very, very effective because they absolutely do have a whole food source of citrulline in there. And usually I prefer whole food as a source of nutrition. But in this case, I think isolated citrulline and arginine have, well, I don't think, I know, have far more clinical research and simply we know what we know about them and we know that they're safe and we know that they're effective. And this is one, if we're talking again about pre-workout, you absolutely want in your pre-workout 100% you want citrulline in your pre-workout or arginine or both. But again, for my money, citrulline is the superior uh, aid for that. And in terms of heart health and cardiovascular wellness, there may not be a better supplement on the market than L-citrulline. It is absolutely phenomenal stuff for that. The clinical research is beyond impressive. And if you are concerned about heart health, which technically I think we all should be since it's the biggest killer in this country, citrulline is something you should probably consider. Uh, there are a lot of ways to get it. You can get it outside of pre-workouts for sure. Uh, we have a product at Vitality called Cardio Boost that I'm a huge fan of and use myself. And then also a pre-workout called Insurgence, which has the citrulline plus the creatine plus the beta-anhydrous plus the beta-alanine. So there are ways that you can kind of stack all these things together in one source that can be really effective. But if you're looking at it more for the heart health benefits, the Cardio Boost is a great way to go. But you can also get citrulline or arginine just in capsules. Uh, you can get it in powder that you can mix into juice or uh, uh, that sort of thing. One thing you need to know about citrulline and arginine, because they are amino acids, they are better taken separated from protein. So on an empty stomach, at least 30 minutes or so before you eat, an hour, hour and a half after you eat, that kind of thing for optimal results. And as far as for athletic performance, absolutely a half an hour to 45 minutes before you work out. I believe it is equally effective for in the gym, in other words, more you know weight training type stuff as it is for cardio stuff and endurance stuff like cycling, running, and that kind of thing as well. So huge, huge benefits there. Glutamine, uh, it's an amino acid. It's an interesting one because it's considered conditionally essential, meaning that you don't always need to supplement it. You kind of supplement it all the time anyway, because almost every time you eat protein, you're getting glutamine. And in many cases, you're getting a lot of it. The free aminos that are available in the muscle tissue for the body to use for other things, 
about two-thirds of that is glutamine. But it's conditionally essential because if you are exercising a lot, if you're hitting the gym on a daily or near daily basis, if you're an endurance athlete, you are likely stressing, if not depleting completely, the stores of glutamine in the muscle tissue. If you fall into that category, then glutamine, I think, makes a lot of sense. I don't generally recommend it as a supplement just for everyday use, but if you are someone who is working out a lot or if you have a lot of immune challenges, glutamine has some really fantastic benefits in boosting the immune system. One thing I found, and and there's some good evidence of this now clinically, is that people who hit the gym and find that they tend to get a lot of illness, uh, they, they catch every cold that comes along, that sort of thing, those people tend to benefit a lot from L-glutamine. And I believe it is because they are depleted because of their level of activity. And when they get that glutamine in, it boosts back up the immune system. So there are some really cool benefits, side benefits to glutamine as well. Typically, five grams to 10 grams a day is what's recommended. And before bed is a great time to do it. After you work out is a great time to do it. But to some degree, it's kind of like creatine and beta alanine. Just having it in your system consistently is probably the most important thing. It comes in powder. It comes in capsules. And it is sometimes found in workout supplements as well. Actually, quite often found in workout supplements as well. So glutamine, absolutely amazing. The last thing I'm going to do, because I only have about three minutes left, is there's a little bit of a debate about this. And I think I am going to do an extra episode on sports nutrition, possibly podcast only, but I'll announce it. I need to figure that out because I, I certainly have a longer list than what I've shared with you today. But the question about branch chain amino acids and essential amino acids. If you're someone who's been thinking you should be using BCAAs because you've heard that that's great stuff, you've been using it as an intra-workout, using it during your workout, that kind of thing, well, you're right. It is awesome. It has a lot of benefits. The branched-chain amino acids along with glutamine are probably the four most critical amino acids to supporting muscle tissue in almost every way, really, muscle recovery, muscle growth, that kind of thing. However, you might be missing part of the key, and that is why suddenly we've been hearing a lot more about essential amino acids, EAAs versus BCAAs. There's some confusion for sure among people that come into Vitality Nutrition talking to me about this, wondering, well, which one should I do? But it doesn't actually have to be confusing. Essential amino acids are really simple. These are the amino acids we have to supplement. We have to get from outside sources because we can't make them inside of our bodies. If we're working out, we tend to have a higher need for these essential amino acids as well. But essential amino acids play a role in almost every bodily function you can imagine between them. And so it's not just about exercise. It's about general health and wellness as well. But the reason I say it doesn't have to be confusing is because essential amino acid supplements contain BCAAs. So you're getting the BCAAs when you take an essential amino acid, but you're also getting the other eight amino acids that are critical to your health. So if you're choosing between the two, I generally recommend EAAs. I think it's the best way to go. You get a, a broader range of benefit for, frankly, similar amounts of money. So there's, it's not like you're paying a bunch of extra for it uh, financially. And why do we want these? Well, they're fantastic for muscle recovery. They're fantastic for just overall health. They're really good for muscle endurance and strength and can be used very effectively intra-workout, meaning you're kind of sipping on them while you're working out. I love them for endurance athletes, cyclists, adding them to their water, uh, triathletes, and so on and so forth. I think EAAs are 
well, essential, just like it says. So that's all the time I have for today. Unfortunately, I'd love to go into more. I will announce soon what I want to do with the rest of this list. It could be next week's show, or it may be a bonus episode on the podcast. If you haven't found the podcast yet, go to Apple Podcasts, go to Spotify, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Overcast. There's a whole bunch of these podcast platforms, all of which are pretty much free downloads on your Android or Apple phone. You search Vitality Radio with Jared St. Clair and voila, there I am. And uh, you can hit follow. I think most of them are follow now or subscribe, depending on what that particular app uh, has you do. And then you'll get every episode. I release a new episode every Saturday and a bonus vintage episode every Wednesday and sometimes bonus episodes even on top of that. If you have questions about anything you heard on Vitality Radio today, give me a call at Vitality Nutrition and Bountiful, 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Vitality Radio is always brought to you by my family store, Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful. And uh, you can talk to anybody there about the questions that you have, 801-292-6662. Thank you so much for listening to me. Don't forget to check out yourhealthfreedom.org for the Your Health Freedom Symposium, which I will be speaking at along with 10 fantastic experts in their fields. I'm so excited about that. I really want to meet you there. Thank you so much for listening to me. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this has been another episode of Vitality Radio. been listening to the vitality radio podcast enjoy your week in the meantime jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it vitality radio is researched and written by jared st Clair, produced by elizabeth joy windham with very limited help from jared our awesome music is by brian bob young Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Vitality Radio. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast has not been evaluated by the FDA. This podcast is provided with the understanding that the information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a medical professional. Thank you.